Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing clothing brand, or making a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, the founder and CEO of Recloseted. Each week, I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Recloseted Radio. In this episode, I am joined by Alyssa from Kintra Fibers. Alyssa is the co-founder and COO of Kintra Fibers, which is a material science company that has developed a new planet-friendly polyester that matches the performance and price of traditional synthetics. A Forbes 30 Under 30 honored fashion industry entrepreneur, Alyssa found that the biggest challenge in building a planet-friendly supply chain was the limited material options. She joined nano engineer and surfer Billy McCall to provide brands with materials that make no compromise between performance, price, and the planet. This was a really good interview and really good perspective from a material innovation company that's doing some amazing things, so make sure you tune in. And before we dive in, I wanted to quickly say that if you want to work with us in a sustainability consulting capacity this year, make sure you book a complimentary consultation call ASAP because we only have a few spots left to work with us. Once those spots are full, we're full, so if you want our help on your sustainability strategy, helping you create a roadmap, sourcing better materials for your garments and your accessories, figuring out your manufacturers and your supply chain, measuring your impact and reporting, and last but not least, figuring out how to communicate your new efforts to your consumers without coming across as greenwashing, book a complimentary consultation call with me and the link to do so is www.recloseted.com slash call. And on that page, you'll be able to book a time slot and it's super easy. So make sure you do so so that you don't miss out if you want to work with us. We will also have the link in the show notes for you as well. And now without any further ado, let's dive into our interview with Alyssa. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, Alyssa. I'm so excited to have you. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, to kick things off, I always ask the same question, but can you give us an overview of your career and what led you to where you are today? Yeah. So uh, my career started, gosh, I guess with a college class <laughs> was really where I found my, my passion. Um, that class was called Social Enterprise. So all about a company that gives back. And in that program or in that class, we were prompted to answer a question. The question being, um, is there an issue that you want to solve? And, you know, typically in all of my prior courses, it was some kind of a business challenge or a business problem that we had to go look at a case study and, and find a way of um, finding a solution. But this case, it was, you know, what is there a problem out in the world that really resonates with you that you can solve through, um, through a company? And in my case, I wanted to support girls' education. And so um, I had mapped out in this college class the concept for a backpack line that gives back to um, girls' education for low-income countries around the world. And um, after I graduated, I ended up 
accepting a job at a, a very high growth, um, fast growing um, tech startup in New York. But meanwhile, I, I never forgot about this concept that I explored in college. And I actually ended up launching that company. So I launched the backpack line that gave back to girls education. Very simple model following, you know, inspired by the likes of Tom's Shoes and, and others. Uh, buy one, give one, one backpack, one day of school over the course of time. It can add up to be a really big difference. And then, you know, as my company started to grow and my order quantities started increasing, I started looking at my supply chain and I started realizing that the groups of girls and women that I wanted to support through my company, through growing my business, the products I was making were the ones most impacted by climate change. And here I am, the primary materials I was using were synthetic, polyester and nylon, PET is what I'll be referring to it probably throughout this podcast. But And those are you know, fossil fuel-based, they're non-biodegradable, and of course are, are the, the biggest contributors to climate in terms of the uh, fashion industry supply chain. And so I just got a little bit obsessed about this problem, I was looking for better materials, and I couldn't find one. And then I met my co-founder, who is a nano-engineer, uh, which is a fancy word for material science, which is the concept of designing from the material forward, creating new materials to solve solutions, or to, to be a solution for problems. And he was obsessed by the same problems that I was, looked at them in a way that I didn't, and we joined forces to build Kintra. So an interesting journey, kind of a long answer to a simple question, but reflecting through, I think it really became, I think my career, you know, really is driven by curiosity and looking at problems and just try, raising my hand and, and trying to be there to, to help um, solve these issues that I was seeing. Yeah, but that's so cool that it happened really organically and you started this backpack business. And to your point, it's affecting the exact demographic that you were trying to help. And so that's so beautiful. And speaking of Kintra Fibers, can you tell folks a little bit more about what you do and what the mission is behind the company? Yeah, so Kintra Fibers is a material science company. And we uh, the easiest way to describe what we do is that we turn sugar into sneakers and silk and satin and any fabric you can imagine. And our mission is to get the fossil fuels and the plastic out of your closet. That's great. And can you tell us a little more about how that works, just the science behind it? Because it sounds really cool, but I imagine folks listening would love to learn a little bit more about how that works. Totally. So I guess uh, maybe we do a quick recap on traditional PET, how, how traditional polyester and nylon are made. So fossil fuel oil, it's refined into a chemical input. It's put into a big glass reactor. If you think back to your high school chemistry class, probably, you know, just imagine a much, much larger version of those glass beakers, the glass reactors that you were using um, in a commercial, of course, obviously a commercial process. Um, but we use that same reactor, except the key difference between our approach is that instead of oil, sugar, sugar syrup is refined, is fermented into our input, put that input in the same reactor so we can use the same equipment as polyester and nylon. But there's a few key differences in the, the way that we structure our material in the chemistry itself. So PET and uh, nylon are also non-biodegradable and that has to do with the molecular structure of those materials. Our material is structured in a way that's compostable inherently compostable so that this becomes really important when you look at the environments that a material might see throughout its lifespan 
for example, a wastewater treatment environment. It's known that every time you wash clothes, millions of microfibers are released in just a single laundry cycle, the equivalent of 50 billion plastic bottles in tiny microscopic plastic particles are released every single year from laundry. And so knowing that, we can design a solution for it. And the way that we do it is, um, again, going back to that compostable chemistry, that molecular structure of the material itself. In that wastewater treatment facility, you have an aerobic environment. So basically a, a compost environment, constant oxygen airflow, and there's aerobic bacteria that can digest any compostable material down back to its natural elements. However, PET and nylon, traditional polyester and nylon, survive that environment and they get out and pollute the oceans and our soil. So when we, not only do we source from bio-based inputs, sugar-based inputs, bio-based inputs, but we also design our material with this concept of bio-neutrality. So not being harmful or actually being good to any material, um, any environment the material might see, including things that we can't control, such as microfiber shedding. So designing solutions for any environment that the fiber might see. And then of course, um, we have to consider textiles as well. So designing for circularity from, from the start. Our circular waste streams can be mechanical recycling, chemical recycling, which is just breaking a material down its into its building blocks, and then um, industrial compost as a solution for textiles as well. Okay, great. There was a lot in there and I want to dive a little bit deeper. So we talked about composting. And so you mentioned industrial composting. And so I'm assuming at the end of life, that's what you're now referring um, and recommending to your clients to do. But for, for customers that would be purchasing these textiles, their clothes or their pieces, they won't biodegrade, correct? Like, or they won't compost. So I think that's like a common misconception people have. That's a great question. Um, I get asked that all the time. Is this going to break down in my closet? No, <laughs> it's a very strong, high performance material. It'll last you a lifetime. We just don't want it to last for, uh, you know, 10 generations of lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. I just wanted to clarify that. And can you also tell us a little bit more about your farm to fiber process? Because I saw that on your website and I would love to know how you're pulling that off and what that looks like. Yeah, well, so we pull it off by working with partners. And so again, you know, this comes back comes back down to how we source our inputs. Um, I think the best way to describe what we do is, um, and my co-founder loves to describe this this way. He he just calls himself, you know, he's baking a cake. He's 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 um, a chef in the kitchen, and he's stocking his pantry. If we're using this analogy with the most organic best ingredients available to him. And the way that he bakes this cake, um, it's really special because it, you know, has these benefits baked in literally into the structure of, of, in this case, the cake or our material. So we work with partners that provide us with our chemical input monomers. These are our building blocks to build our material, which is a polymer. And so the, the way that we do it is just by choosing to buy these ingredients, these monomers, these building blocks from bio-based sources instead of from oil, from fossil fuel-based sources. And so that's kind of this farm to fiber approach is, you know, you, everything starts from the farm and we need to, in the future, consider all of the farming practices that are being used and really develop closer relationships as we continue to grow our business. Um, but as of today, it's just a matter of we, we will never source something that is um, petrochemical based. 
Yeah, and I love that, that the business stands for that. And that's so inspiring and it's so needed. And for folks listening and they don't know a lot about Kintra Fibers, you are predominantly producing polyester alternatives, correct? Or are you also producing nylon as well? Well, our material is new. So it's a new synthetic. Um, so polyester and nylon represent about 63% of the global fiber market because they are a synthetic material. Again, they're they're basically they're they're made by they're man-made fibers, so they're made by us to deliver specific key performance criteria. They're strong, they're portable, they're effective. You can really make polyester PET or nylon suitable for very specific applications. So we're a new, we're a new synthetic. We're we're offering an entire new suite of performance criteria that we can design from the molecule forward. We brands um, often will see a number of our performance metrics that we're measuring and think, oh, this is great for replacing PET. Or um, another brand will look at a different set of performance metrics that we offer, and they think it's a great replacement for the nylon. So every brand has a different um, need in their supply chain. And again, our goal, we, we actually can deliver the performance that brands need in a synthetic, but offer all these environmental benefits. So I would encourage Typically, I do encourage brands when they think about Kintra fibers, you know, don't think about it as replacing PET or nylon. Think about this as if you're an artist and you're painting, this is a, a new color that you have on your palette that you've never had before. And yes, we can replace PET and yes, we can replace nylon. And we have a whole entire suite of additional benefits that will deliver new performance characteristics that a designer has never had access to before. I love that positioning because there's so much innovation that you and your co-founder are doing, and that makes a lot of sense to think of it that way. Can you talk a little bit more about those exciting benefits that maybe PET or nylon aren't able to satisfy? Yes. So our material is delivering, we're measuring um, similar strength, similar tenacity to PET and nylon, yet we're a lot softer. So measurably, we um, are about half a stiff but with that same strength. And usually these two are odds with one another. So what that means is we are just as strong, but we feel like cashmere. And not only that, but our materials also demonstrating some inherent stretch recovery that neither PET or nylon have in their inherent to their material. What this means is soft, strong, a little bit of stretch recovery can enable a mono material garment construction which can make all of these um, circular systems that I spoke about earlier, chemical and mechanical recycling and compost, all that much more attainable for the stakeholders building out that infrastructure. If you start blending materials, even if it's a polyester cotton or if you add any spandex in there, circularity options become limited. So we can deliver, I mean, of course, it's great to have these, the soft hand feel, the strength, the stretch recovery, and even more important to start designing for circularity. And our material can offer that, whereas uh, traditional polyester and nylon cannot. Okay, that's really exciting. And I can imagine a lot of fashion designers listening to this getting really excited about just the potential and just the different things that you can create with this. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited too (laughs) with my design background. 
Yes, totally. And so speaking of incorporating new materials, do you have any advice for someone that might be working at a bigger, more established fashion brand and their executives have a lot of resistance, let's say, to incorporating these new innovative materials because they're not sure about the quality, the durability, and maybe the scale? So do you have any tips for someone that might be in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about starting slow and it starts with a conversation. And oftentimes we found that these points of resistance actually lead to new solutions or or new points of innovation and can help bring the supply chain forward as well. We think it's our responsibility to understand some of these constraints and design for them. Uh, just as an example, the PET dyeing process, imparting, you know, imparting color to PET, it requires really high, high temperatures. Um, there's some ancillary chemistries that are involved that aren't great in the supply chain. So in order to have an easier dye process, our material actually can take on dye at much lower temperatures and can avoid the need for a number of these ancillary chemistries that are used in PET. I share this as an example because I noticed that when I speak to um, you know, the, supply, uh, the supply chain team, they have a number of questions about how this can integrate into their process. And through these questions, it's often uncovered, this can actually lead to cost savings in their supply chain and can lead to benefits where there might have been initial resistance. And then when I speak to a sustainability team at a brand, they're of course hearing, oh wow, this can further reduce our scope three emissions with less lower temperature, less energy. So one team looks at it as cost savings, another looks at it as emission savings. And some of these benefits wouldn't have been uncovered had there not been initial, I guess, maybe resistance or, or challenges or questions that they had about integration. So I think it all starts with a conversation and really taking it step by step. And on our end, we want to be there every step of that, of, of that journey to help each team kind of uncover what are the benefits here if we are to make the switch. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. If there is that resistance at the beginning, do you recommend going in with a plan around, you know, this is what our executive team is really prioritizing right now and kind of tailoring it that way and almost doing it a pitch? Or do you recommend being more open and seeing what their, maybe what the points of resistance are and then coming back with a plan? Like, what do you think works better? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, right now it feels like the industry is a little bit in the Wild West moment. Everyone is making a plan as they go. And I think there is, there's kind of a, a in-between there where we have our plan, our mission for Kintra as a company, and we invite brands to join us on it through these conversations and always are open to making updates for um, how we plan on integrating with a company. What are the minimum requirements that we need to hit in order to move forward? And so it's a little bit of a, we kind of have a blueprint that we fill in through flexible conversations. Yeah, I mean, I love it when a brand approaches it from the perspective of uh, maybe a designer, where it's, hey, this is a, this is a new material that we can add into our um, our collection. Uh, let's look at it that way. Let's think about how how we can incorporate this new concept, this new material, into our existing supply chain. 
while also understanding that there might be some uh, new learnings that come along with working with a new material. So I think it's about that flexibility where we really see success is um, understanding that although we are a direct drop-in to existing infrastructure, there is some education that comes along with um, onboarding a new material and aligning um, all of the stakeholders through through the supply chain on it. So I, I think it really, collaborations become successful when both parties approach it with an open mind and kind of this curiosity and, and discovery process where we'll find the, the best way to integrate into their current uh, processing. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And speaking about aligning stakeholders in the supply chain, I definitely want to get your thoughts on that. How do you think brands can approach that where maybe some of their existing manufacturers might have resistance to incorporating these new materials? Any tips there? I guess I met my co-founder late 2019 and we raised our first, our seed round, our first round of funding in 2020 and we really hit the ground running since. And I remember you know, back in late 2019, um, when I first met my co-founder, Billy, and we would have some of our brainstorming discussions, I, I was saying, I think it's going to be really challenging to get the manufacturers on board. We're going to have to plan around that because in when I was trying to source new materials, I just, I felt, I, I found so much resistance <laughs> across the board in the supply chain. So that was my experience. But the industry, even in just the last you know, two, three years, the industry has really changed. And manufacturers are often the ones raising their hand and saying, hey, we, we want to work with you. We want to integrate. What can we do? How can we, how can we explore this together? And so I think we've seen mills and, and other manufacturing partners being really enthusiastic about the long-term benefits of this. They see this being a new business opportunity for them to win new business from brands that are more sustainability-minded and also just de-risk their future. Yeah, so we've, we've seen that. Um, so I think, you know, for a brand that maybe doesn't have a supply chain where they're raising their hand, again, I think it's about an exploratory conversation and then perhaps um, looking for additional innovative partners to add to the supply chain for, you know, smaller runs of new materials. Yeah, that's really great to hear that the industry is shifting in that way. And for any manufacturers and mills that are listening, you have to innovate. This is where the industry is going. So instead of being stubborn and resistant to it, like you're saying, be curious, be exploratory. And I would say just welcome it with open arms and know that, yes, it will be difficult, but it is definitely worth it. And we definitely need to do this. I would agree. And I think the, you know, the manufacturing partners that have been raising their hand and are trialing and testing, you know, they're, they're the ones that are going to be winning the, the business from the brands that are activating their sustainability plans. And so switching gears a bit, but moving towards smaller brands or even startup brands for those founders that really want to incorporate these new materials, but maybe they don't have the budgets, the resources and the time. What advice do you have for them? I know how hard it is. <laughs> I have been there <laughs> personally. Yeah, it's always kind of a, a you know a challenge between when you're sourcing small quantities that that balance between pricing accessibility. You know, I think at Kintret for us, we we kind of have this internal ethos that sustainability shouldn't be a luxury. 
it shouldn't be a luxury for people to live in alignment with their environmental um, and human values. So again, you know, we we have the benefit of fitting the infrastructure that is used to make 63% of the world's fiber. So because of that, we will be able to reach price parity fairly quickly, and we will be able to unlock access for smaller designers um, that have been traditionally priced out of participating in sustainable or new materials. In the near term, we are finding ways to even start working with um, designers on smaller scale right away. So we're always open to a conversation and to understanding, you know, um, ways that we can potentially, you know, if there's a group of 10 smaller designers that are all looking to source the same yarn or the same fabric, we could group them together. So we are in a little bit of a unique position for the materials landscape because we are able to scale quickly. We fit infrastructure. And so we are able to do some of these uh, working relationships with smaller companies where many innovators just wouldn't be able to deliver that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard. <laughs> you know, I think uh, that's why we're, we're trying to answer it at Kintra because we recognize there is this gap that exists in the innovation landscape. And a lot of it just has to do with the nature of how materials are made. And um, some new materials require new infrastructure and new builds. And that's where it can become really expensive and really challenging to be able to actually start working with um, uh, anyone besides (laughs) large global players. Yeah, for sure. But it's great that you're trying to actively solution for it. And I liked your idea of grouping brands together. We often do that with our clients too that are smaller. We'll have them go in for a bulk order and then they get better costs and then also they can meet minimum. So that's a great tip as well. And I know you mentioned you did a seed round and you had funding, which is amazing. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and if you have any tips? Because I know there's a lot more investment in this space, which is amazing. And so would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, for us, it came down to finding the right partners. We uh, we had a bit of a unique funding journey, as in we actually were ready to move forward into some manufacturing in March of 2020. If we recall what happened in March of 2020. <laughs> so we shifted gears. You know, manufacturing was shut down for the foreseeable future. Our partners weren't open that we were planning on producing with. And so we started looking for, you know, well, who are the brands that understand our material and the benefits of it? Can we connect with them to, you know, see maybe there's ways to work together when things do open up? Can we incorporate them into even this first manufacturing run that we're planning on doing? And we found that brand and that brand is Pangaea. And that conversation led to them being interested in investing in us because there was so much alignment and synergy. So with that momentum, we opened up our uh, series or seed round opportunity for traditional funds. Um, we have a really incredible mission-aligned group behind us, um, including Fab Ventures, which focuses on sustainable fashion and beauty, founded by Odile Rajal, former CEO of Lancome. We have a fund out of New York that focuses on science and technology innovations um, that connected us with our technical advisor, who's a career veteran from DuPont. So really scaling, massively scaling uh, new materials and technologies. And we have the Chemical Angel Network behind us. So everyone, um, agriculture experts, climate experts, on our cap table. So for us, it really started from finding that first mission and vision aligned partner and continuing to build kind of a 
a consortium almost, a cohort, <laughs> or we really see our investors also as an extension of our team. And for us, it really came down and just people who understand our business, understand what we're setting out to build um, and tackle, understand the challenges and have some expertise that they bring to the table as well. Uh, so it was an interesting time to, to open a seed round and to raise, but I think that mission alignment uh, really pulled us through and, and with a cap table that we couldn't be happier about. Yeah, that's amazing. Good for you. I know right now we're heading or in a recession and I know there's some founders trying to raise money right now too. So it's just really reassuring and encouraging to hear that you did your seed round during COVID and you came out so strong as well. And I think that'll be really inspiring for folks to see. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can only control what we can. And so for us, it was, all right, we need to shift our plan. Manufacturing is closed. What do we do when it opens back up? Who do we want to, you know, have on our side? Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of shifted gears and, and kept going. Yeah. And when it comes to having investors and comes to creating that board or that, you know, group of mentors around you, how did you decide who you were going to choose? Was it really assessing where the gaps were or where you wanted support or what does that look like? Yeah, it's a little bit of both, you know, assessing, assessing the gaps, um, understanding where we need support today and where we might in the future, and then uh, reaching out to our network and our community that we've built to, to fill that. So I think, you know, everyone who has kind of worked with us or, or joined us, it really has come from, I guess, you know, what is the business need in the near term? And then uh, looking ahead what will we need in the future and how can we start developing the community to support that when we get to that point? Yeah, love it. And so for any other material startups or material companies out there, do you have any advice for them? Oh gosh, I think keep testing. I, I think for us, the testing in the lab, of course, but getting out of the lab as quickly as possible. So, you know, getting on that commercial equipment, getting, did have pretty rapid development. Um, so within uh, 12 months of our seed round, we had built our lab and we had gotten out of the lab and were producing on commercial equipment quickly. So our, again, our material benefits from um, infrastructure, from being that drop-in solution, but getting out of the lab, even if it is maybe not so turnkey of a solution for industry can be, we started involving brands right away. You know, within a week of meeting my co-founder, we're sitting in meetings, having discussions to understand what do brands need. And we only um, really start tailoring our material. We, again, as a synthetic, we can really build in various performance criteria. We only do that when we know there's a commercial application on the other end. So I think getting out of the lab for us was trialing on commercial equipment as quickly as possible because we are that drop-in fit. And also, I guess, getting out of the lab can, can be, hey, go talk to customers, talk to people to understand where they might be fitting your material um, into, their, into their offering. That's great. And so you work in this space, in this very innovative and growing space in the industry. What are some things you're excited about and what are some things that you think are heading in the right direction? Circularity. There is so much innovation happening. Um, we're really excited about chemical recycling um, as a solution. You know, I think there's so much happening in the policy landscape as well that will help drive this forward. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really see this circular future that was even, you know, just in 2019, kind of a vision coming together. 
Yeah, it's been really cool to see. And I just hope that all of this takes off and they get enough capital. That's currently my worry. And we just get this in time because things are needed kind of yesterday. So hopefully they act fast. Yeah. And, you know, with change comes great opportunities. So um, I think investors are starting to recognize the business case for, you know, these, these new systems, these new processes as well. Yeah. And that's been really great to see. Yeah. I think um, it's been exciting to be a part of it. Totally. And I also selfishly wanted to ask you more behind the scene type questions around, you know, productivity tips, high management. It seems like you have a lot going on. And so do you have any advice in that realm? I think, you know, as founders, we naturally wear many hats. And I I mean, I personally struggle with, I guess, identifying the key tasks that I should be focusing my time and attention on rather than everything I could be doing. But being more attentive to that has been really a helpful process for me. And I think in terms of just day-to-day time management, my my calendar knows me better than I know myself. <laughs> so that's been uh, really helpful for me is just tend to be a pretty visual person. So just having everything uh, visually out there and then really um, going through the effort of stopping myself from thinking I can do everything. And then just looking at how much time I have in the day and, and making sure I'm using it to my most optimal. Yeah. One tip that I've been doing, because I used to have a planner that would make me write down the top three tasks and then kind of the remaining tasks. And I use that, but I still felt really overwhelmed. And I realized it was because I was still writing everything down and trying to get it all done. And I wasn't really focusing on the top three. So now what I do is I actually time block how much time it's going to take me in my calendar to do those top three things. And that's been really helpful because sometimes as founders, we can underestimate how long something takes and we're not very realistic with that. So I don't know, just sharing in case it helps someone. Well, I love that. I mean, that that definitely is a great approach. And I, for me, I often find that like the uh, things taking longer than I anticipated is just because I let perfectionism settle in. And so I've also started, you know, trying to actually adhere to my time blocking and yeah, just kind of keep things moving along. And so what is next for Kintra Fibers? What are you excited about? So um, I mentioned that Pangaea is an investor in our company. They are also our very first launch partner, and we are currently scaling up to deliver them a, a set of yarns that they can use to make fabric that will hopefully be in their um, production coming soon. So we're pretty heads down focused on that. We're also part of this year's Fashion for Good cohort. And so we have a number of brands that we've met through Fashion for Good um, that we're enthusiastic to continue exploring with. So really, we're at the stage where, you know, the yarns are getting ready to go. And now it's about getting it in the hands of, you know, we often say the brands are the true innovators, getting it out in the hands of them so they can start creating and actually getting the material out to customers. Yeah, that's so exciting. I wish you all the best. And I am so excited to see some of those yarns in real life. And I think for you too, it'll be really cool to see the brands put it into action and then see customers wearing it and feeling it. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing what they'll think. I am as well. Yeah, that's wild to even think about. (laughs) It's something we've been working towards for so long. But uh, yeah, we can't wait for the material to be out in the wild and and see, you know, see what people um, think of it. Yeah, perfect. And so last but not least, what are your links? How can everyone support you and get in touch? 
Yeah, thank you. So our website is kentrafibers.com. We're also on social on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn at kentrafibers. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for spending your time with us. I know folks are going to get a lot out of this and just thank you for all the work you do in the industry. It's so needed. And that concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories and tag us at Recloseted. Make sure you subscribe to our Recloseted radio podcast on your preferred podcast platform so that new episodes are automatically downloaded and you don't miss any of our free resources. Lastly, don't forget to rate our podcast five stars and leave us a positive review. That really helps us and continues to allow us to provide this podcast for free. Together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.